comes from the book of Leviticus, the 19th chapter, verses 1 and 2, and verses 9 through 18. I invite you to listen now for the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor, you shall not steal, and you shall not keep for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf, or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. God does not require a pure heart before embracing us. God does not require a pure heart before embracing us. I read that quote from Henry Nouwen at just the moment I needed to read it. I have been struggling all day, one day last week, with this sermon, particularly this biblical text, the only time in the entire three-year cycle of the lectionary that Leviticus is lifted up for us to read and worship. I came home struggling with Leviticus and found in the mailbox a note from our Stephen ministry and a grief booklet. This is one of the many ways that Stephen ministry provides care to this congregation, and many of you have been recipients of it as well. After the death of my father, I began receiving these grief booklets, and I am grateful for it. I opened the booklet, and it fell open to a page in the middle with the words from now in the sidebar. God does not require a pure heart before embracing us. I think we need to hear these words and words like them 
before, during, and after reading a book like Leviticus. Because otherwise, it may prove more than our Presbyterian hearts can take. Leviticus is the graveyard of most read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year programs. Someone will come up to me, usually in late December, and say, Pastor, I'm making a resolution to read the Bible through in a year. I've got this app on my phone that says if I follow the program, I can do it every day. And I usually put a little timer on in my head at that point and determine however many weeks it takes to get him or her to Leviticus, that's how long this resolution is going to last. They will come back with a dazed look in their eyes on some Sunday and say, I was doing fine until I got to Leviticus. It's true, you know. It, Leviticus is infamous among books of the Bible. It prohibits trimming your beard. It prohibits getting a tattoo, which I've quoted to my wife and my daughter to no effect. It prohibits wearing clothing with two kinds of fabrics. Everyone who wears yoga pants is going straight to hell. <laughs> Many of you know that Leviticus pr pr forbids a cursing your mother and your father. And if you've done so, it calls for the death penalty. Leviticus says not to eat shrimp or lobster. And most pernicious of all, to those of us who live south of the Mason-Dixon line, bacon or barbecue. That's just a few of the prohibitions in Leviticus, but it's enough to get the point. Many Christians will read these various prohibitions and conclude that Leviticus is really not for us. It's not really for us to take seriously. That's a book for, for the Jewish people and not for us. We will say something like, you know, Jesus came and brought grace. And then we'll close the book. But such an approach ignores Jesus' statement that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It also ignores Jesus' own very real connection to, of all things, Leviticus. Do you remember when Jesus was approached uh, by someone asking him a trick question? Uh, and asked him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? There are 613 individual laws in Judaism. How would Jesus possibly narrow that down to one? The first and greatest law he quotes from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And then before the questioner has a chance even to say, good job. Jesus says, and a second, a second, is like it. And then he quotes from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And to drive that point home, as we will hear, we will say here once a month, he announces, on these two hang 
all the law and the prophets. So not only the 613 individual laws, but also the testimony of all of the prophets. All of them boiled down, says Jesus, to these two things. Love God with all you have and all you are, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, yes, Leviticus has a lot of prohibitions and many laws, and some of them get quite specific and quite uncomfortable. All of them were intended to shape the community into a community of response, of response to God's holiness by becoming themselves holy. Notice after each command is the phrase, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. The laws are not there as a burden, but as a gift. A concrete way the community is shaped according to the mercy and justice and love of the God they love with heart and soul and mind and strength. You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. What does this look like in real life, we might ask? The shape of a holy community looks like a farmer harvesting his fields. His hands grow weary, his muscles ache with the labor of the day. And as the sun begins to set, he says a prayer of thanksgiving to God, to the one God he worships. And even as he prays, he, he looks at the edges of his fields, wheat that has not been gleaned, grapes left untouched on the vine, or lying about freely on the ground. And he does not harvest those edges. As his lips say thank you to God, his life out there in the field reflects that thanksgiving in concrete action for his most vulnerable neighbors. Once he is gone from the harvested field, many will come. Women carrying infants on their backs will pluck the unharvested grain. The man who begs outside the synagogue doors in town will find bundles of grapes. The foreigner will load his bags with produce. And so this field will feed the poor, the sojourner, the weak and frightened. They will all find nourishment with more to spare from this act of faith. And thanksgiving. Is this what holiness looks like? I believe when Jesus lifts the command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, he is grasping the central message of this book. It seems to me that the message is our holiness is not so much in order for us to be what we sometimes call holier than thou to lord our piety over other people, 
but rather our holiness is in response to God's holiness, in which God is set apart and distinct precisely because of the depth of God's love and mercy for us and for the world, and God calls us to be distinct, holy, set apart in the same way. In a world where taking from others, engaging in shady deal-making, or lying has become routine and accepted, damaging relationships and ripping at the fabric of trust that binds us together, we are called to be truth-tellers, to be holy. In a time when it is awfully easy to not honor commitments, when taking advantage of those who are vulnerable is the price of doing business, when we hold back the wages of a desperate day laborer simply because we can and it improves the bottom line, we are called to be distinct, to be holy. And in an environment where those with special needs are often singled out and subjected to cruelty, we are called to be holy in our interactions with people like the blind and the deaf and others who often stand out and are pushed out. It's tricky reading a book like Leviticus because it is clear that Jesus himself did not care much about whether you wear yoga pants or eat bacon. He once told his disciples that it wasn't what you put into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. His disciples were known to not observe some of the Levitical purity laws, like the ritual washing before meals. When confronted about these things, as he was constantly in his ministry, Jesus never said that the law was void. Instead, he reminded them that the law is a gift and that the heart of the law was not a series of onerous codes for every conceivable behavior, but rather the love of God and the love of neighbor. At one point, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin as an act of worship, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. Jesus stands in the prophetic tradition when he says this. Remember Micah? who said God was not at all interested in the various offerings prescribed in places like Leviticus. Instead, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. When reading a book like Leviticus, We are called to remember the words of one of our confessions in the Presbyterian Church, that the Bible is always to be interpreted in the light of its witness to the work of reconciliation in Christ. 
We are to read all of the scripture through the lens of Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law at its depth. Love and mercy, the grace and love and justice of God. It should not be lost on us that to follow the law as Jesus fulfills it is much more difficult than choosing what to wear or what to eat. To remember the weightier matters of the law is ultimately not something we can do on our own. In fact, we're pretty well terrible at it on our own. Which is why it's important again to remember the words of Henry Nouwen. God does not require a pure heart before embracing us. God's embrace of us, God's love of us, God's claim on us through baptismal waters always comes before our response. And our responses will necessarily be imperfect, clouded by sin. And yet we continue in thanksgiving to offer our response to yield and allow ourselves to be shaped into the community God intends. We pray our prayers of confession, knowing we fall short. And then we say the law again and again after we hear those words of forgiveness in order to remember that the law comes after God's grace, after God's forgiveness, after God's embrace as a gift from the hands of this gracious God. And so when we gather in Wilson Hall and bag sweet potatoes that have been gleaned according to inspiration from Leviticus, we do so because the Lord is our God and we are thankful. When we sit at the bedside of someone who is sick and join our prayers with theirs, we do so as an act of love of neighbor. And we do so because the Lord is our God, and we are thankful. When we sit beside those who grieve, engaging in acts as simple as sending a booklet in the mail with a note that lets someone know he or she is not alone, we are loving our neighbor, and we do so because the Lord is our God, and we are thankful. When we go across the globe, to join hands with refugees fleeing war, sojourners in a strange land, and yet our neighbors. We do so because the Lord is God, and we are thankful. And when we stand up for those who are marginalized and vulnerable and lonely in the world, we recognize Jesus' definition of neighbor. And we love fiercely and without apology because the Lord is our God and we are thankful. Again and again, we return to this place to worship and study and serve. So we will remember we belong to God and that God does not require a pure heart before embracing us. And then we go out into the world 
to be the thanksgiving we feel. This is how God's kingdom, announced in Jesus Christ, continues to draw near. May it be so. Amen. Amen.